Welcome back to following Noah on the Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 179, and we're doing chapters 44 through 50, barely tagging the end of part three and well into part four of the Hero of Ages. Paul, how are you? Marvelous. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we're getting pretty far in. We're getting some bigger reveals, I think, in this episode, so... I'm excited to uh, to untangle it all. We get a couple big name drops, and the originally we had chapter 44 in the previous episode, and we were starting with chapter 45. But there's a there's a big name drop at the end of chapter 44, like the the last word of chapter 44, and then it turns out that it's just a fake, and um, the real name drop is in chapter 45. So. Uh, we are. That's the reason why we're splitting in the way we are. Elliot, how are you? Doing good. I was, yeah, about to have to lose it if Reen was back in the the picture, but apparently not. And Vin figured that out pretty fast. Yeah, I I do have a slight bone pick with Sanderson because he drops Reen as a huge cliffhanger at the end of part three, and then just instantly takes it back in the first paragraph yeah. of part four so um but i don't know i i think 44 should be part of part three but anyway um we will roll, roll intro and then we'll get a brief summary from elliot All right, Elliot, 44 through 50, take it away. All right, our chapters are getting a little bit complex, so it's not super simple to summarize, but I'll try. We kind of just summarized 44 a, a bit. Vin gets into the cavern, but it turned out to be a trap, and she is now trapped there, along with Ruin, who tries to masquerade as Reen, to start with, but Vin sniffs that out pretty pretty quick, and so she's stuck in the cavern hanging out with uh, Ruin a little bit. And Spook is continuing on with uh, with his journey of trying to follow Kelsier's will and take down uh, the citizen. He meets a couple times with uh, Bel Beldra, is how I would try and pronounce that. Is, Beldra, uh, the yep. citizen's sister. Uh, the citizen's sister, and trying to uh, trying to convince her over to the cause. I'm not sure if he's just romantically interested in her, or if it's actually the right political move or not. I'm not sure that he knows. Uh, Sezed continues to ponder, wonder about his purpose. He's still going through his religions that he's been for a while, trying to find trying to find a religion that he can't disprove. And so he's still trying to recover from losing Tindwill and struggling with that. He talks with Breeze a little bit at some point uh, about that. And yeah, we get a few hints to a bunch of stuff, which we'll talk about as we, uh, as we go through, I guess we wrap up with Sezed coming up with some plans to reflood the canals of Erto and Heldon, Ellen's buddy, ex-buddy, 
shows up in the cavern, opens the door for Vin, and brings her some drugged wine, which she willingly drinks, thinking she can escape, but we kind of leave it at maybe she's just captured again. Yeah, she thinks she can pewter her way through it, but she can't. The We start the episode in part three, at the end of part three, and Vin is sneaking her way down into the the cavern, and she's using all the classic stereotypical distractions. She'll, you know, make, make a sound over here, then run across the hall real quick so that, or she'll, uh, Mistborn style, she'll soothe the guards or make them, make them yawn so they, you know, can't really see very well, then run across the, the hallway real quick. So a, an interesting Mistborn spin on a classic sneaking past the guards scene. And one that I thought would be perhaps a little bit challenging to portray visually. This was a, a kind of fun spin on the classic stealth level in every video game where you have to sneak past the, the guards. But she's doing it in a lot of times with emotions. She pulls on the guards' emotion to make them want to go check out the thing around the corner. But how do you, how do you show that nuance in like a TV show or a yeah. movie? I don't know that you could. To the to the casual observer, I don't think I can't think of a, a way to get that across. It would take a really creative, I think, movie maker to, to depict stealth via emotion. Even just emotional allomancy in general might be pretty hard to get across on screen. Definitely. The on screen adaptation is something that I've wondered a lot with this story specifically. I've mentioned it before, so I won't I won't talk too much about it, but like other stories there's I think there's always glowing involved <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um but in this one not exactly unless you added that for visual effect in a in a screen adaptation. But um but it still be kinda hard to decipher, I guess. Alright. End of chapter forty four. We successfully sneak into the cavern. Vin then gets trapped in the cavern because they've removed the allomancy locks on the door. It's just a big stone door. And so they collapse the doorway. She's stuck in there. Turns around. And I'm a little confused because she thinks that the... She thinks that Yeoman's Mistborn is in there with her because she can sense allomancy. But then it turns out to be Reen, which is actually Ruin, which she previously has thought was maybe the Mist Spirit. But when she thought about it previously, she knew it wasn't Ruin because she had felt Ruin before, and that's not how Ruin felt. So I was <laughs> I was a little confused by the end of this scene, where is that is that just Brandon lying to me that she really can't feel ruin or is that I, I don't know I, I was a little conflicted but at the end of chapter 45 great big reveal that ruin is here been with Vin forever but we were deliberately told it's not ruin in Vin's head or at least that's what Vin assumed so this is a really I mean this is a really comforting reveal I think because 
it ends up. If this is not Ruin, then we have a lot more questions, I think, about why can this mist spirit go undetected? Like, what what all is going on here? And so, even though I, I am on the side, I kind of, I believe that Ruin is a bad guy here, um, it was comforting for me to know that this is Ruin, which is funny to say. Um, but it was helpful because I feel like, I feel like a lot of our story elements are really starting to kind of narrow, which gets me excited. I'm not thinking about the end of the book yet, but we're not that far away now, you know. Um, you know, we're we're decent ways into this book now. So, I mean, ruin entering the scene right now gets me really excited. Yeah. Um, for for what what this may mean, what we may get to see from an actual shard, like. So, yeah. Um, I guess it's nice for our characters to know they're not crazy either. I guess it's kind of comforting, but you know, I'm I'm a little confused too. Like Trevor was talking about, I'm almost back to the: Are there multiple different miss spirits going on here? Because yeah, we were just told it wasn't ruined, and then now it is. Is this the miss spirit, or is it? I don't know. We have a lot of similar entities that I'm not sure if they are the same or if they're not. Yeah. I like you said Paul, I am excited to see Ruin. Seeing seeing Ruin in the book turns our turns our standards up, I guess you could say. But and our stakes. But I'm a little bit I'm just a little bit hesitant because it's it we have a deliberate line a couple chapters back that says the Miss Spirit felt distinctly different than how ruin fell to the well of century. So I, I don't know. That's fair. And this this raises a question, and this may be maybe this is not true. But Ruin seems to appear to people as people that the person he's appearing to knows, right? We see Reen with Van. Not not necessarily like he's being viewed as that, but but the times we think we're seeing or probably more helpful for this example the time we think we're hearing ruin okay is um zane right maybe a little dicey on zane but we're assuming that's probably ruin um marsh probably most notably maybe spook with hearing kelsier and then hear vin hearing her brother reen um I don't know if there's anything with with um, Ruin speaking as these different people. I wonder if that does anything to... He could do anything also to alter how he's, I guess, felt, if that makes sense. Like, you're right that Vin... Like, this, this seems different than what she's felt before. But I, I'm... For me, that's easy to explain as just, like, he's ruined, and he just kind of has different presences with different characters he speaks as, I guess, or um, things like that. Uh, maybe, maybe that's less possible than I think, but for me right now, it's pretty easy for me to just kind of be like, yeah, he can just kind of 
be sneaky about it, you know, like it's not too much um for that to to change, I guess. Yeah, it, that that's fair. The he definitely does change how he's heard to different people, like you said, if we make a couple assumptions there. With Vin specifically, up until this point, we've had we have had a voice in Vin's head, but it's always been Reen's voice said, or Reen said in her mind. And now when Ruin reveals himself as Reen, he's he's really playing this card of that no, that was me. That that wasn't your your mental dialogue. That was that was me. Elliot, what did you what did you think of that reveal? It it I, I'm always a little conflicted on these reveals because I'm not sure if I can totally trust them. And so some they even might miss a little bit of their punch because I'm a little reserved as opposed to other Sanderson stories where this one is well, whenever there's a big reveal, I'm always concerned that is that what's actually happening? Do you guys feel the same? I I do feel the same in that I'm not sure what I can what I can trust. I'm also I'm curious how much of this is like ruin manipulation and how much of it is fact. Right. Because like Vin knew Reed as a person for a lot of her life. And so for her to be so taken in by a voice in her head that she thinks is Reen, but it's actually Ruin, would, would take a lot of convincing, I would think. And Ruin drops a line that's even more confusing. Ruin says, you've heard me in your mind since the first years of your life. Hmm. But Vin was around Reen for years, a decade. And so, could Ruin have been a voice in her head then? Or did Ruin only become a voice in her head after Reen left? I, I don't know. I do think, however, this plays in nicely with some of my predictions about Vin's earring. Okay. I, I am fully now on the train of... Vin's earring is a hemallergic spike, and that is how Ruin is speaking in her mind. We we talked before in the last episode about how Ruin was trying hard to spike Penrod. Got a spike in Penrod. Yep. Ruin's also trying hard to spike Ellen. Ruin doesn't seem like he's trying to get a spike in Vin. Well, obviously it could easily because He's already got one. Right. He's already got some metal inside of it. And so he has a avenue into her mind. Now, it's a subtle one. It's maybe maybe the placement of like Pedrod's spike in his heart is really important. And Ruin has a much more direct path to controlling Penrod through his heart, whereas maybe Vin's earring through her earlobe is like the teeny tiniest little bit of influence. And so Ruin, all Ruin could do is just like speak just ever so slightly in the the faint voice of, of Reed is all he can do. But 
yes, I I think Vin's earring is a hemorrhagic spike, a very small one, and Ruin has been using it to speak as Reen in her head. Remember what the plaque says in a couple chapters here? The Lord Ruler The Lord Ruler states that Ruin has been speaking in his mind. Do you guys remember if Ruin had any metal in him? You mean the Lord Ruler? Yes. The Lord Ruler. Do you know the so if you if you remember the Lord Ruler was both an Alamancer and a Ferrochemist and then pierced his body with his ferrochemy bracelets so that they couldn't be affected by allomancy. Right. But then it could have been a, a byproduct of, of hemallergy, a third type of magic that would allow ruin to affect even the Lord Ruler. Makes perfect sense. So yes, I'm on board with your theory, Elliot. I do I do think it's funny that you are flagging Vin's earring as much as you are just because you're an experienced Sanderson reader and you're on the lookout for that type of thing. Whereas most Sanderson readers would probably be this is their first iteration of something hidden in plain sight like that. But you are you're prepared. It just came up too many times. Even in book one, there's like three or four mentions where mentioning that her earring was there added nothing to the scene. And so you read that and you're just like, okay, at some level, I was supposed to notice that. No idea why. And here I am three books later finally with the pieces to even put together a theory about why I was interested in the earring, but it just it showed up too much. that The camera panned to it a little too intentionally a few times. So, well, let me then pull a prediction based on your assumption. Is that what, what happens when Vin figures that out? Does she remove the earring and gets power over Ruin, or gets out of her head, what happens? My, my guess at this point is along the lines of what I was talking about with the location and the level of influence. I think the level of influence that Ruin has over Vin is very, very small. Very, very small. All he has is a tiny voice in her head. So is Vin removing the earring all that important in the battle against Ruin? I don't know. I don't think so. Like, sure, if she figures it out, take it out. Now you don't have that pesky, nagging voice in the in the back of your head. But I, it doesn't seem as influential as a Marsh or a Penrod or somebody else, or a, a Spook even. Spook seems to be falling under a level of influence that's much more concerning than, than Vin at this point. So is the earring actually going to play like a critical part in defeating Ruin? I don't think so. Okay. We've just ended part three. What's our do do you have a theme for part three, Elliot? I I do. It's a little bit of a tongue in cheek one in that usually I try to pull together something thematic and 
dramatic or whatever. And all I could come up with as a theme or what just seemed like a, the most obvious that I couldn't get away from is just hemallergy itself. Hemallergy. That's my theme for part three because so much of part three was all the bits and pieces and information about hemallergy and what it can do and why it's important. And Chandra and Kolos, I don't think we really spent much time on other thematic kind of elements. It was really the hemallergy 101. Sounds good. That's pretty true. And this whole... A lot of our questions have been answered quickly. I guess guess this one kind of stuck around for a little while. But you're right, yeah, we, we really, this this part, we learned so much of the specifics and some of our characters who have hemolurgy that we didn't realize had hemolurgy, so. Before That's pretty spot we on, leave so. part three, before we leave part three, though, Trevor, there is one other thing. Aside, while Vin is getting trapped, Ellen actually discovers something a little a bit interesting. Where we left him in chapter 43, he was just having a debate with the omen. Yep. Well, in chapter 44, it takes a little bit uh, of a twist, a turn. Ellen all out attacks Yeoman. Yeah. When, when they discover that, you know, when things start to fall apart and the, the alarm is raised, Ellen just goes for it. And I'm not, I'm trying to remember the scene. I don't remember if he's just trying to. Provoke him into action to see if he will do Alamancy or something like that, or if he's really actually trying to assassinate him in that to take him down in that moment. I don't remember. But he does seem to discover that Yeoman is burning Atium. Yeah. Which I was rather confused by and wrote a bunch of questions in my notes because I can't even remember what we know so far. I'm trying to trying to check off what this tells us. If Yeoman is burning Atium, does that mean he's a Mistborn? Or can you be an Atium Misting? Uh, or are we in some other category of like is he using Hemallergy to gain the ability to burn Atium or something along those lines? I would... I would tell you all three are a possibility. Which one does Ellen assume? Ellen starts to go down the path of Mistborn. Yes. Ellen immediately assumes, oh, he's a Mistborn. But I, I would tell you that all three are a possibility, and Ellen kind of jumped the gun on that one. So yes, Yeoman was burning ATM, but he specifically doesn't like fight back at Ellen. He doesn't like shoot coins at him or you know, pewter burn or anything like that. He just burns ATM and is on defensive. So that there's an interesting yeah, a couple interesting questions with Yeoman. What is going on with him? It, it's totally feasible that he has like an ATM spike because he's a previous uh, obligator, right? He He was part of the canton of resource, I think, um, which is actually why he knew where the, uh, he knew about the cash uh, before the fall of the final empire. So he, 
um, he took control, and then that's the first thing he did was go down to the cache and empty it out and make it a prison for Vin because he assumed Vin would come for it. So, all right. In chapter 46, we're back with Sazed and Spook. Just kind of a throwaway line. Sazed comes across the religion as he's studying through them, and he comes across the religion of Trellism or in worship of Trell. Have we seen Trellism before? Oh? Maybe I'm missing something here. But I don't know if we have. Okay, Elliot? It's funny you should ask this because I wrote that exact line in my notes. He started talking about it and it was one of those, have I heard of this before? Small part of my brain wants to say yes, but I couldn't tell you the slightest detail about when or where. But it is one of those that's like, is it just too too similar of a word to press? And I'm thinking of the title of a book I have yet to read. Or is it something I have heard of before? I, I don't know. Okay. I will tell you that you have heard it before. I will not tell you where. Because I'm mean. And keep that in mind moving forward. Trell. Trellism. Where does that come from? What, what does that make you think of? But that's all I'll say on it for now. Okay. Elliot, you have an interesting quote in here uh, about Sazed. I, I do. I do. Sazed is... I think becoming the most interesting character in, in all these these three books in that he's he's still going on this this journey of self-doubt, self-discovery maybe, battling with the loss of Tindwill and how that has really shaken his what used to be such a strong faith. And he, he's still kind of just wrestling with that in these chapters, but he he starts to even question the purpose of preserving knowledge. Yeah. Like, why, why, why do keepers even do this? If I've dedicated my life, if generations of people have dedicated their lives to just preserving history, preserving knowledge, preserving religions, and here we are at the end of the world, and my knowledge isn't even, it's not even helping us save the world. It's not even, no one wants to hear it. All everyone cares about is survival. He kind of asks the question of, well, what's more important, knowledge or just surviving? And the the quote that he that he drops, or I think I think you're just in his mind. It, he kind of wonders, is this is this not an era for scholars and philosophers? Like maybe maybe scholarlyism and philosophy are. Maybe they are important in and of themselves. Maybe they do have value. But when the world is falling apart, when you are, when the apocalypse is happening and everyone around you is just dying, is it just not the right time for that? Right. Do you just need to drop it and go help your buddy next to you? It's seemed a, seemed a very poignant question. Yeah, I mean... How important is all these religions that he's going through if you're not going to live through right. the month, you know? You got better things to focus on. 
by the end of the episode, Sazed, Spook, and Breeze and everybody, they have Beldra approach them um, to try to like make peace between uh, Quellian and Spook, because Beldra's afraid for Quellian. And Spook just says, oh, well, thanks for turning yourself in. We're just going to hold you hostage against Quellian. And spread, spread the rumor that, oh, you came to us because now, now Beldra's on our side and that will turn the city against Quellian, that his own sister abandoned him. So I, I think that's an interesting move from Spook. And Spook's really coming into his own here um, towards the middle third of this book. Spook is definitely growing in confidence. Yeah. But it makes me a little scared. He, I like that he's getting his moment because he very much is getting a moment. And Sazed even intentionally hands him the leadership, basically. Sazed has a whole inner dialogue in one of these chapters about how he's not really a leader. He doesn't like doing that. He'd rather be the one that does the research and gives the important knowledge to the right people to make the key decisions. And so he's perfectly fine with Spook now kind of stepping up and being ready to be the leader. The question is, like, why Spook is doing this? He's got this new confidence. He's got some new abilities. But like we talked about before, I'm really worried it's addiction-driven. I'm really worried that the Kelsier voice in his head is not Kelsier, and it is not a good influence. Is he going to full-on become under Ruin's control? Seems very possible. So I'm... I'm very scared about the new role that Spook is taking. If you were to say right now, do you think do you think Spook is going to ultimately go down a wrong path? Or do you think this is just kind of a a hiccup? Or or kind of an awkward phase as he's gaining more power? Oops, um, oopsies. Spike myself. Yeah. Oopsies. Whoopsie. Um, <laughs> this is funny, but I'm kind of thinking of Spider-Man 3 when, uh, <laughs> I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, but when, uh, the, the Spider-Man 3 movie, when Toby uh, Maguire, or whatever the actor's name was, he goes through his, like, emo phase, you know? Yeah. Um, his, like, really kind of cringy emo phase. Anyways, um, I think the the question, though, in my head is, like, before any of this happened, I mean, this makes sense, I guess. Before any of this happened, we never would have any questions about Spook doing anything poorly, I guess. Like, like we didn't see him much, but I would trust him. And now we've seen him, and I would still trust him, but the awkward thing is we know he's kind of in the realm of influence for Ruin. But he hasn't necessarily... I, I feel like we haven't seen anything too bad. I know this all sounds ironic, probably because last week I just talked about, kind of added on to this addiction thing with Spook, which I do stand by, but I'm I'm kind of curious you know, if you were to try to guess right now you know, do you think this is actually going to fully go down the path of wrong and ruin or is this or is it kind of going to stop here? Is it going to change directions? Because I don't think he's taking the sword, like the the spike, 
if you will, out. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think that's there, but I I feel like the path we're heading down, in general, overall with this book, is Penrod is spiked, Spook is spiked, Vin is a tiny bit spiked. I think at some point, Vin, Ellen, Sazed, the three of them are going to realize that the entire world is stacked against them. They are going to get to a point where the three of them, they finally put enough pieces together to realize Ruin has everything under his control. And they're going to have to find the, the one weak link. Where's the weak link in all of this where we can bring the, the Ruin Tower of Power crashing down and save all these people that are under the direct influence of uh, Ruin? Marsh. I should mention Marsh, Marsh and all that. So, all that to say, I do think that Spook is going down a path of surrendering control to Ruin. And I think it's going to be, I think Ruin's going to play directly on that part ambition, part addiction. He wants more power and he's getting addicted to it. And he's going to want more. He's going to want to keep, he's going to keep wanting more. That's going to allow the Kelsier with my air quotes around it, character voice to guide him along the path that Ruin wants him to walk. And so, yes, I do think Spook is going to get fully under the control of Ruin at some point. Vin, Ellen, and Sazed are going to have to find a way to remove that control that Ruin at, at some point here is going to have over pretty much everybody. How many of our crew have secret spikes in them? How safe is Breeze and Ham? There's a there's a difficult question. Are there others that we haven't even really seen much of that are already spiked? Uh, yikes! I don't know. Or does Ruin not really care about them? Yeah, I don't know. But then, if he doesn't care about them, then that would make the question of why does he care so much about Spook? Right? Spook would self describe himself as the least of these. And we have Breeze and Ham into our generals in Ellen's court. Yeah, I don't know. I think Ruin is both opportunistic and efficient. I think Ruin saw an opportunity to give Spook some power and take a bit of control of him, and conveniently can now use that to semi-control Breeze and Sazed for a little while. Or at least have a voice in that room. Right. I'm really thinking on this. Uh, are there any other characters that have a secret spike? Because I honestly don't remember. I think I'm in the Trevor boat there. He always says that as we read a book. Like, oh, I don't remember what happens here. So this is a genuine prediction. And then it's, it's something that he actually remembered and didn't quite realize it. Just so maybe I shouldn't right answer. I'm kind of of the thought that maybe there's not a character that has a secret spike aside from the ones we know. But I mean, I feel like that's usually the reveal that happens is it's like they realize someone has a spike in them, you know. Well, and here's the other part of this that I'm very apprehensive about. It seems like the potentially the one upper hand that our heroes could gain would be through our sympathetic Chandra who wants to help Tensoon. 
Right. But it is very well documented at this point that he's spiked. That's his whole existence is hemolurgy. So whether Tensoon wants to help or not, is he even a reliable ally? I don't know. And the Inquisitors were definitely on the Lord Ruler's side, but when the Lord Ruler existed, so were the Chandra. But now the Inquisitors are very much on Ruin's side. So why are they? Why are the Chandra not? What? Why do the Chandra seem separate from Ruin, or at least as as portrayed so far? Or maybe that's our answer. Maybe if we can figure out why. Tensoon does not hear a voice in his head. Yeah. There's your answer. If you can figure out how Chandra can be spiked but not under the control of Ruin, apply that to everyone else, and now you've fixed your biggest problem. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Back to Vin. She finally gets to the plaque. And it's pretty disappointing, with the notable exception of a one-liner from Ruin. And it's and he says, even if Ruin returns, I've hidden his body well. What does that mean? I don't I don't remember this at all. What I I'm really curious on what that means, but I'm not gonna say anything in case I uh am too smart. There's an epigraph in one of these chapters, too, that also mentions that Ruin is looking for his body. And I think we've had some Marsh perspectives that have hinted at this as well. Yeah. Ruin is, is looking. Ruin is looking. And now here we have the Lord Ruler claim, Ah, it's fine, though. I hit his body. He won't find it. Like, I have all the questions. One... How the heck did the Lord Ruler have Ruin's body? Yeah. Good question. Who? What are we even talking about here? Because are we are, are we literally talking about it like a human body? Do we need a do we need is he looking for a vessel? Is he looking right. for a specific body that he wants to inhabit? Why not just pick another body? Why not? I mean, I'm probably bringing too much outside knowledge of shards into this and, and asking spoilery questions, but I, why, why does Ruin care about one body? To, to go a different path of thinking, also in some of the epigraphs we've seen recently, we've heard mention of Preservation's body. And we've that the link to preservation's body was the fact that it powers allomancy. That it, it seemed to say, I'm trying to recall the epigraph, that the metal that allomancers use is the body of preservation. Let's see if I can find and it. So it's uh, it's from last episode. Is it? It's got to be thirty-eight. I think it's 38. I think it's the epigraph for 38. But if but going down that line of thinking, maybe this is more metaphorical. Maybe we're not talking about a literal human body. We're more talking about a source of power. If 
preservation source of power is in like the metal of the planet. What is Ruin's body? And did Lord Ruler get a hold of all of it and hide it somehow? <laughs> for for the record, viewer and listener, I had an epiphany. I'm not going to say it this time because I'm pretty sure I'm right, so I'm not going to say it. So I will I will leave Elliot in the dark this time. Just wanted everyone to know that I had one of those moments. Yep. Anyway, all, all of this from mention that Ruin is looking for his body, and the Lord really claims to have hidden it. What are we, exactly are we looking for? Why did the Lord Ruler have it? And where did he hide it? Yeah, I agree. Anything else? I mean, we end the episode with Vin that we talked about earlier. Vin drinks a drugged cup of wine or something, and she tries to fight it off with Pewter, assumes she can fight it off with Pewter, but uh, she can't. And Which makes me think, makes me wonder if Yeoman has access to said mystery metal from the Final Empire that burns out all your metals. So if the Inquisitors give her or force her to swallow some metal that like extinguishes all her metals, burns all her metals at the end well, of the we book. We know what it is. Yeah, it's aluminum. Is it aluminum? Yeah. Okay. So I'm yeah. I'm wondering if Yeoman had aluminum in said drug, and she can't fight the drug because it it gets rid of all her pewter. Maybe that's a good theory. I. I'm a little worried what they're going to do with her. I was they now have drugged Vin. Like when she when she wakes up, assuming she didn't just ingest aluminum and remove all her metals, she's going to wake up at some point and be pretty cranky. <laughs> and if she does have metals, they're in trouble. But are they going to like try and go use her as collateral or ransom or whatever you want with Ellen? Are they going to drag her out and say surrender, leave or we'll kill her kind of thing? Or what's what's about to happen? You you did predict that she didn't live out the book. I... Yeah. I don't, <laughs> we've still got some pages to go. We do. We've, we, we've still got a solid third of the book to go. I'll be pretty shocked if she were to die now. I I think that if Vin does die, which I still think she very likely could, it's going to be in a sacrifice herself to save the world kind of way. Not a, oops, the baddies got her to burn yeah. aluminum, and so now they slit her throat. Get, getting executed by Yeoman while drugged, not yeah. a very good way to go for Vin. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that the the whole like drugging thing here seems a bit. Yeah, this seems not quite. I don't know that I'd stick to that, but you you have a good point, Elliot. That seems fairly fitting. Alrighty. Ooh. Yes. Before you go elsewhere, I just noticed something in my notes. Quick little question that comes up that we should talk about briefly. Sazed and Spook and Breeze discover 
in talking with Belgia, I think, maybe, that supposedly the mist that it kills 16% of everyone who walks into it does not ever kill or affect at all nobles. Yeah. That... I, I also read that and I was like, how do we not know this yet, by the way? Like Yeah. That's that's and Sazed Sazed tries to answer that in a little bit. I was like, well, Ellen should have figured that out, right? Well, Sazed kind of plays into that saying, Well, most if not all of Ellen's people that he has with him are ska. I guess with the notable exception of Ellen himself. Right. So maybe Ellen wouldn't be able to discover that information, but yeah, that raises a lot of questions for me. Like why, why, why does that matter? Yeah. I mean, remember, aren't, aren't the terrace also immune to the mist for some reason? Are the terrace immune to the mist? I can't remember. Did that come up? I feel like it might've. I, I think when Sazed goes and visits the terrace and the pits of Hath Sin, they, he asked them if they're dying to the mist and they think he's crazy. Like, why would we... The, the mist don't kill people. That's crazy. So, why is it only affecting Ska, then? That's really weird. We had an epigraph. I think it was in this book. I think it was early on. That talked about the Lord Ruler using his power to intentionally shape the genetics of people. Yeah. That he he basically like created this guy. Wasn't that long ago? Actually, I can might be able to find it. Keep going. And how again? It was. I think it was in the whole section where it was talking about and the Lord Ruler moved the planet to fix this and caused six other problems, and then he did this to fix that and caused six other problems. And like that was one of the things he did to help everyone survive was he adjusted their like, genetic makeup and ended up creating nobles and skies to like slightly different bloodlines so maybe that has something to do with why the mist would not affect nobles i think maybe but then where does do, do, are terrorist people nobles then is that what that would imply i guess or a completely separate bloodline altogether yeah i don't know anything else for stormlight spoiler Nope. Well, Elliot, in the outline you have, Sazed is trying to find his purpose. Breeze has an answer that I don't think I agree with. What are you referring to here? Yeah, actually, that's a that's a good one. That that's all back to the we we touched on it a little bit with Sazed is battling with his what's my role in life? What am I supposed to be doing? Do I have faith anymore? He had that thought a couple chapters before what I'm about to mention, where he said, maybe this is not an era for scholars and philosophers. But then in chapter 49, he has a direct conversation with Breeze about it. And Breeze kind of calls him out on, hey, man, you're, you're, you got to get over this Tindwell thing. She wouldn't want to see you like this. And, and he's wrestling with, you know, what should I be doing? Who, who am I? Who do I need to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And Breeze, in his classic, Breeze, blunt, gonna not worry about hurting your feelings kind of way, gives him a gives him a pretty direct answer. And he, he says this. Says it. 
How is it you can be so wise in so many areas, yet so completely stupid about this? A man is what he has passion about. I've found that if you give up what you want most for what you think you should want more, you'll just end up miserable. And they go on to argue about that a little bit slightly, but it, it stood out to me as a very strong stance on that. Breeze is going very much a, well, stop trying to be something you're not, basically, I think. But pointing at the, find, find what you're passionate about. You know, the, the emphasis I, I made on some words there is in the text. There's italics on a man is what he is passionate about and what you think you should want more. But Sazen kind of pushes back against it, and I think I'm in more of this camp, of while being true to yourself and not trying to be more than you are or shouldn't necessarily be is, is a, a decent way to think about things, it, it's also, in some senses, a good way to not accomplish much. Right. If, if Sazed is just feeling down in the dumps and sad and maybe I should just quit all this, just embracing that is not your purpose. N knowing what you should do and trying to pursue that definitely, in my mind, is the right way to go about things. And oftentimes in, a, in life and in a story, you need someone else to kind of give you that push, right? You need someone to, to come alongside the hero and say, no, this is what you could accomplish, or let me help you get there. Let me carry you up Mount Doom so that you can accomplish the the goal you were meant to accomplish and not just leave you to accept your fate at the bottom of the mountain. So I think to Breeze, I would say, okay, kind of, but at the same time, definitely not. Yeah, I could see that the is Breeze really trying to tell him to settle or is he trying to tell him to like snap out of it he's I think he's trying to tell him stop stop wrestling with it too much and just be be who you want to be now or be who you are they, they talk about like studying stuff and how Seiza has found a Bree sees a light in Seiza's eyes he hasn't seen in a long time, and that's because he he puts on his engineering metal mind, which I enjoyed that whole segment by the way, as an <laughs> engineer for Seiza to become an engineer for a few pages was pretty fun. And Bree says, "Oh, I, I can see you enjoying that. Stop worrying about your religions, stop worrying about your scholarly stuff, and just do the do the." stuff you like like i just saw you enjoy becoming an engineer for a bit go do that and part of that is is spot on of stop moping and find ways to to be happy and, and move on but the other part of it i think is says is chasing the big picture says is trying to figure out what is the what's the purpose of all this that is a noble cause i think to try and discover your purpose and so to give up on it just because it he can't solve it is not the right advice for me yeah i like that all right 
Stormlight spoiler. I want to compare real quick. The first time... This episode's really the first time that we actually get to sit and talk with Ruin. He's he's existed before that. This we've we've heard mention of him before this, but this episode is really the first time we actually have a conversation with him. You guys remember the first time we had a conversation with Odium? Where that is in the story? Is that Isn't it in the Way of Kings? No. Either that or Words of Radiance, maybe. Because we get mention of Odium at the end of the Way of Kings. That's what it is. Yes. O- Odium as a name is mentioned pretty early in the Way of Kings, actually. Um, Kaladin mm-hmm. asks Syl what Odium is, and she like freaks out on him. It's actually in the Wandersail chapter. Shout out to the Wandersail. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't actually get to talk with Odium until beginning of Oathbringer. Um, Oathbringer is when... Dalinar has really taken the reins of Bondsmith, and that's when Odium reveals himself to Dalinar for the first time in his visions. Um, we don't get to talk with Ruin until the beginning of like the last third of this book, uh, of the last book of the, the trilogy. Whereas when we get to talk to Odium, it's like halfway through the series. I... I how do you guys feel about that? When, when our big bad guy truly reveals himself, isn't until like almost the end of this book or towards the end of this book, we don't even know who we're fighting or what's going on here. I think in the context of their stories, I think it makes perfect sense, honestly. Um, in Stormlight, you get the mention of Odium early, like we mentioned, but you don't actually see and meet him until about the middle uh which i think is pretty fair um you could do it a little earlier even a little later and i think that's fine um i like it where it is i think that's really great of the first two books not really diving too deep and then the third book being sort of face to face with odium and starting to understand the implications of that i think that allows good build up for Odium to be just like, you know, there's a whole like power hierarchy that's established before that of like how strong people are, how strong enemies are. In this, in Mistborn, I still think that's fitting because we. <sighs> in Mistborn, we, um, we have the final empire. And the Lord Ruler is kind of the big bad guy. Right. Um, I will say, I think there may this maybe could have been pulled a little bit earlier, but we do get a lot of mention of Ruin right. leading up to this. And so for him to actually reveal now, I think is pretty well timed. I think... Um, it gives him time to still be a major player and to actually like see and maybe sort of understand him. Versus, if it is earlier, then maybe it feels like the plot of def- trying to defeat Ruin or combating Ruin or whatever it looks like, maybe it starts to feel like that is dragging on way too long, you know, okay. in the 
in the plot. If that is where it's going to end up at, then maybe that's a bit... Because it is kind of... I think this series is more awkward because book two, this whole Well of Ascension, we weren't really sure what was supposed to happen, what was supposed to be the significance. We know that we were going to end up at some Well of Ascension, but it was a bit unclear up to almost the very end. Um, and then we learned that that's what releases Ruin, or swings the momentum back, we learned. It's not really like imprisonment and freedom, it's a bit different. Um, and so it makes sense that we would actually meet Ruin now. I think. <laughs> but as far as your comp- uh, comparison between Ruin and Odium, I think they both make sense in their respective stories. If there is one that I would tweak, <clears throat> I would probably tweak it a little bit to where maybe in Mistborn, maybe um, you reach the Will of Ascension in Book 2, not at the very end. That Maybe that's Part 4, Part 5, and then after that you meet Ruin, like then. Like you kind of know right away um, that you made a mistake or something. And they kind of did, but they didn't meet Ruin. They didn't know that, so... And then he could show back up in part three, I think, or part four, whatever. I think that's fine. Yeah, I don't have a lot more to to add. I think Paul, I, I agree with what Paul just said. I think for the the scope of what you're dealing with in Mistborn versus Stormlight, you don't need your big bad guy any sooner. I think okay. Mistborn shines in the character relationships, not necessarily the 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 grand scope of things and so yeah it works for me now that i've mentioned it i actually really like my idea of having the first ruin meet the first time we talk with ruin actually be at the well of ascension after a little bit of a restructure of book two and then that's kind of like the big reveal and then you start book three and it could still go about the same pace that it's going right now, because the reader's like, oh my goodness, when is Ruin going to come back? When are we going to see him again? You know, right? And, 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 but you have kind of more context into all the crazy stuff that's happening, you know. Anyways, I, th- I think that would be kind of neat. Yeah. Cool. Uh, are we too sleepy for a Stormlight Refresher, Paul? I can do one. Let's go. All right. We are These are pretty fun. 4 to 1 in Elliot's favor and Elliot leads this week. Elliot, are you ready? I'm ready. Your chapter name To Fight the Rain. To Fight the Rain. He's over there googling it. I know that's what <laughs> it looks like. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Exactly uh, what someone who is Googling it would to say. Fight the yeah. rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was I was writing down our our score, four to one, so I could log it. Uh to fight the rain. What do I think of? When I hear that, I think of I think of the really cool scene where Kaladin like builds a shield around himself against the the stormwind front to protect like the parchment that he's with, I think. 
in in a scene where he's like oh I'm fuzzy on the details but helping the the parchment people he's he's fighting the wind in that moment uh if i've learned anything from all of our previous quizzes though i'm completely off so it's probably not that scene and it's something much more mundane like a bridge run where they're going into the storm or maybe like a reference to the Everstorm. If I had a better idea, I'd go with it because I'm probably wrong with my first idea. But I'm going to go back to my first idea because that's kind of all I've got. It's the Paladin bubble in the storm to protect Parchment. Incorrect. Yeah, figured. So Roy starts nodding, and that makes me think. It equally makes me think whenever it's not my turn. It makes me think that Elliot was correct. And whenever I see it on my turn on my own, no, that means I'm incorrect. It (laughs) works both ways for me. It always works in the negative way for me. Okay, to fight the rain. I had a little more time to think about this and came up with, I think, somehow even less that I'm confident in. Um, I am going to go with... To fight the rain. I think this may be the chapter where Dal... I think it's in Oathbringer where Dalinar has a flashback. Where there's like the lightning spren and the water. And it's all like murky and in my head rainy outside. I don't think that's correct, but that's what I'm going to stick to. That's what popped into my head for whatever reason, so... Uh, I don't remember, I'm struggling to remember the name of the sprint there. Maybe that was something with the fused, or no, it was an unmade. They're in the Pure Lake, so I'm just going to go with that. Incorrect. The correct answer, Elliot, you kind of touched on it. It is when Dalinar and company have reached the center of the Shattered Plains in Words of Radiance, and our Parshman listeners have bonded storm spren and become what the alethi know as void bringers in the middle of the riddens and there's glowing red eyes in the middle of the rain that's right all right i do remember that scene now that you mention it but i would have not uh, gotten there from the title that's why we're doing these mm-hmm. paul your quote id you ready oh always yes Honored one, I agreed to this trial because it was the only way to get a chance to talk to the honor spread. This is Adolin to Kalak. Correct. I wish I could give you two points for that because you're 100% correct. He's speaking okay. to Kalak. Elliot, would you have gotten that? I. I think so. I would have had to think about it, but I would have thought of Adolin, I think. Okay. That makes me, that does make me feel proud because last week I definitely would have gotten the Moash to Kaladin quote once we had the hint. Right. Yeah. For the record. It was after the, the second part of the quote, but the, anyways. The second part of this quote, which you don't need, is Alex's response. Ah, yes. Optimism, hope. I remember those things. 
But I don't think you understand the stakes of this trial, child. I think that would have been much less helpful than the first quote, actually. But it, it goes very well, and I love that scene. That was one of my very favorite scenes of Rhythm of War, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, Elliot, here's your review. Did not finish at 20%. It's marked as high fantasy, but for me, it was more young adult. The magic system is pretty much Magneto from the X-Men. I couldn't get into the story, probably because Sanderson isn't a great writer. I'm now questioning my four stars for The Way of Kings. Ooh, this is... This is, this is tricky. I had some ideas until the very last bit there, because... Did not finish, 20%, doesn't like the magic... Did they keep reading Stormlight? Like, why, if they were going to bow out, they sh they would have bowed out in Way of Kings. So now I'm now I'm tempted to go outside of Stormlight, which I think you've told us is a possibility, although unlikely. That is what I've said. Eesh. Magneto. Yeah, how's your how's your X Men lore? Oh, I, I have nothing. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, that seems like it'd be such a giveaway. I don't yeah. even know. Boy, what are they talking about? I I bet I'm I'm gonna say this is this is Mistborn. This is Mistborn, the final empire. They read Wave Kings and they thought, okay, this is decent. But then they, they trashed Sanderson as a writer after having read all of Way of Kings. It's kind after of surprising. giving the Way of Kings a four, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like really. Um, gosh, I don't Yeah, Mistborn Final Empire, one out of five. If you only read 20% of the book, you, I don't know, whatever. One out of five, Mistborn Final Empire. Paul? Okay, I agree with the one out of five. They got 20% in, they obviously couldn't stand it and to pick up further. Um, so my thought also was that this was not Stormlight. Do you mind actually reading the, the quote part of the review again for me, Trevor? It's marked as high fantasy, but for me, it was more young adult. The magic system is pretty much Magneto from the X-Men. I couldn't get into the story, probably because Sanderson isn't a great writer. I'm now questioning my four out of five stars for the Way of Kings. So what's what sticks out to me the most is that this is labeled as high fantasy, but thinks it's more young adult. I have several options swirling through my head. So I think logically, I'm like maybe this is just Words of Radiance. We're sticking to Stormlight because he rated the Way of Kings highly. But I don't think... I can also see not liking specifically the beginning of Words of Radiance because there's the stuff with, who was it, Ten? Mm -hmm. Is Ten the character? Yep. I didn't like Ten very much. It wasn't my favorite part. But I don't think that's young adult E though. That doesn't seem right. I also want to go outside of... I, I think I'm also going to go outside of Stormlight. But I'm kind of leaning towards 
Warbreaker. Okay. I don't know that, that what's really hurting me right now, I think, is I don't know I don't know anything about Magneto or the powers of Magneto, and I'm really kicking myself for that. Because I feel like that would maybe give a more dead giveaway. Magneto in my head, I'm like magnet, metals, scadrial. <laughs> That's my thought process right now. I could see that, but you I, know. But I don't I don't And I could see that being more on the young adult side especially if you have the covers of the books that's like do you know what i'm talking about the kind of like modern covers the misborn modern covers i don't know if you know what i'm talking about uh, yeah not the like brand new ones but the ones that are like more realistic yeah art like it looks a little bit it looks kind of like young adult fantasy okay i've said a whole lot so i want the- to <sighs> The gamesmanship play here is to say the same thing Elliot said, because you have a yes. point on him. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking, but I'm also like, that's so lame. That's so lame to Not do that. Elliot's, Elliot did it to you in a previous episode. That's true, that's true. So, because I'm between those two, I guess I should do that. Because also the odds that this is Warbreaker seems low. If it's Warbreaker, then I'm gonna be mad at you, Trevor. But I'll I'll go with it. I, I think one out of five is obvious, but I think I'll go Final Empire. I would potentially think of another book in Mistborn, but if they didn't, if they got twenty percent of the way through, I think they were sick of it from the start. Well, so both of you, one out of five for the Final Empire, correct? Yes. Yeah. Both of you are correct. It is a 1 out of 5 rating for The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. And from what I know, it is nothing like Magneto's powers. <laughs> I mean, except that it has to do with metal. Uh-huh. Magneto can, like, exactly that. He's a magnet. He moves metal. And... Okay. Glad I was on on that. I did. And that you, was just kind of a guess. If you only get through twenty percent of the final empire, you could come away with the conclusion that it's Magneto I, because that's all you're doing is pushing coins around for the first twenty percent. I, I guess, <laughs> sort of. But like they in the first twenty percent, they explain the magic system. They like they sit you down and tell you everything. So I'm surprised. Maybe you thought that was boring. Surprised. Anyways, okay. All right, we are three to two. You guys are raking in the points on this uh, episode. We are three to two in favor of Paul. Um, going into the final question, and Paul leads this, so he could close it out right here. Paul, who is in jail voluntarily alongside Kaladin in Words of Radiance? Voluntarily, that is what I said. Just to keep some pressure on you, Paul, I'll be pretty disappointed if you miss this. Okay, so I understand. I know that there's the big in jail voluntarily. So I know that there's the big scene in Words of Radiance where Hoyd comes and gives his like teaching lesson. Yep, to Kaladin. Fleet. Yes. Fleet. I forgot that. I forgot about Fleet. But so that's my, that's my, I guess that's my guess. 
I honestly have a slight other guess, but I don't know that the other, the other guess I have, I don't think it would be voluntary. So your guess is Hoyd? But, I, okay, in jail, like, like not visit, because I thought Fleet or where was visiting Kaladin while no. Kaladin was in jail. No, Fleet is the story that is being told to Kaladin okay, from Hoyt. Whoops. That's how much I remember of that. <laughs> I'm like, wasn't Adolin also in jail? But if he was, it wasn't voluntary. I'm going to just say Hoyd, and maybe Elliot will be disappointed in me. You are incorrect, <laughs> Elliot. Go okay. ahead. Whoops. As long as this is what I think it is, which we've been we've been very off before. This is this is Adolin. This is uh, this is the moment where Kaladin and Adolin like bond. They've been not just frenemies. They've been enemies up until this point, and Kaladin is thrown in jail for the whole honor is dead. I'll see what I can do. Right. Yep. And he gets out of jail and finds out only then that Adolin had voluntarily gone with him the whole time. And that's the moment where he's like, ah, maybe that dude's okay, actually. And then the bromance begins. It's Adolin. Elliot, you are correct. You have defended the point against Paul on that rather obvious trivia question. Um, I I deserve the disappointment. This time. <laughs> really, the thing that tripped me up was the voluntary. Uh, like I I remember all that. I knew I even knew Kaladin was in jail because of that. Honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. Scene with Adolin. Man, that's tough. Whoops. All right. It re- remains four to one. Moving in to next week, we will reconvene then. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Later. Peace.